Hey there, I know I'm crazy listeners. You know, you guys always try to sing the song and it's never as good as the intro song. So let me just let the intro song play here in a second. But first, we have a really serious topic that we're talking about today. There are very few things more heart-wrenching for a family than having a child addicted to drugs or alcohol. Sadly, their desperate search for help often leaves many of these family members feeling alone and without a roadmap to guide them through the process of helping their child. Today, we have the author of The Addicted Child, Richard Capriola, here with us. He's going to kind of walk us through how to navigate dealing with a young person that is battling mental illness and substance abuse. Richard has been a mental health and addictions counselor for over two decades. He's been licensed in Illinois and Texas and recently retired from the Merninger. I cannot read this word, Richard. Menninger? Menninger. Wow. See, and I'm not going to edit this out either. I'm just going to, we're going to roll with it. Clinic in Houston, where he worked as an addictions counselor for adolescents and adults diagnosed with psychiatric and substance abuse disorders. All right, we're going to talk to Richard one second. We're going to let this song roll real quick. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm doing crazy. Richard, did I say your name right? Your last name right? Is it Capriola? That's perfect. You got yes. it right. That's is right. Is that Italian? It is. Ah, oh, where's your family from in Italy? Sicily. Oh, okay. You know, Miss Naja went on a couple of backpacking trips alone in Italy a few <laughs> years ago. All right. I, I love, 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 love. It wasn't Sicily, though. I, I didn't get to make it over that way. Well, that's okay. You were in Italy. That's what counts. It, thank you. Thank you. I got to go to uh, Napoli, Roma, uh, Isle of Capri. You oh, know, yeah. so it was a beautiful experience for sure. Okay, so um, we got some. We have some heavy duty stuff to talk about today because you have been working in the field for twenty years. So I know you have seen a lot. I have seen a lot. I've dealt with uh, a lot of kids uh, and uh, and worked with their with their families and with their parents. And one of the things that uh, that I learned was when I would sit down with parents and go over their child's history of using a substance. Mm. One of the most uh, common responses I got from them was something that was like, "I had no idea this was going on," or or if they suspected their child was using a substance, they would say things like, well, I knew, I knew some of this was going on. I didn't realize it was so bad. So I wanted to provide a resource, a, a, a brief resource. This book's around a hundred and some pages mm -hmm. that provided families and anyone interested in adolescent substance abuse, some basic information in non-technical everyday type of language that would help them understand all of the different dimensions of adolescent substance abuse. Mm. And guys, just by the way, while we're talking, you all know I like you to go look at links sometimes while we're actually talking to the, the people that I'm interviewing. Go over to helpthedictedchild.com because you can peruse through the book's introduction as we're talking. Um, Richard, you know, you've been working in this industry field for so long. Have you seen any changes in trends for the specific types of substances that these adolescents are, are battling these days? 
Well, marijuana and alcohol still are the two primary substances that adolescents oh, are using. Uh, and, and that's been true for, for, for quite a long time. Some of the other drugs, um, you know, so the so-called hardcore drugs like LSD and cocaine, um, those might be anywhere from three to four, maybe 5% of seniors using them. Um, there is some use of, of, of prescription drugs like Ritalin and Adderall but again, less than 5% of seniors. Um, and the, what we have noticed that is rather alarming in the last three years has been a dramatic increase in adolescents who are turning to vaping substances. Vaping is a process where they will use an electronic device to inhale a vapor that contains nicotine and marijuana. And for a while, I saw that the vapors were trying to, they were trying to run this campaign to brand it as something that's not harmful, which we both know is not true. Right? We know that we know that's not true at all. And, and, and what is alarming is that in the last three years, we have seen adolescents vaping nicotine go from about 9% of seniors to 22% of seniors. And, and we've seen vaping of nicotine go from 18% of seniors to 34% of seniors. And that's oh, just I in love statistics. That's <laughs> just in the last three years. And that's a dramatic increase in, in, in vaping of these substances. Instances. What's the appeal with vaping? Because I see grown-ups do it. Like I see people do it, but what's the appeal? What's the big deal with this? Well, I think the big deal among adolescents is it's 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 very easy to conceal. Uh, some of these oh. vaping instruments look like uh, pins. They look like USB drives. If you're not familiar with it, and many teachers aren't, uh, they are easily. Uh, uh, you know, hidden, easy to use without being recognized. Now, if you asked adolescents, well, what's the big deal about nic vaping nicotine? They're, they're likely to come back and tell you, well, it's safer than smoking cigarettes. And oh. uh, cigarette smoking is now at or very low, very close to its lowest levels in history. But unfortunately, kids are moving away from smoking cigarettes and they're vaping nicotine. And the problem with that is that they are getting higher concentrations of vaping through uh, higher concentrations of nicotine through vaping. And there was recently a study done by the University of Rochester Medical Center for both adults and kids who vape they're starting to report difficulty in concentrating and, re and remembering things. So, um, you know, this, this vaping uh, surge that's going on, particularly in the adolescent population mm -hmm. is, having some, is having some ramifications. So then you mentioned at the top of the podcast, you said, you know, when you sit down and talk to parents, they're like, well, we had no clue or maybe we had an idea. And I know a lot of parents were probably coming to you feeling embarrassed. They feel shame because they're like, how could you not know something like this about your adolescent? We all know teenagers can be quite tricky, but how, how are these parents finding out? And most importantly, how the heck are they missing the signs? What are the signs? That's my question. What are the signs? Well, my book has signs um, that, that parents should should be looking at. It has, it has signs for marijuana use. It has signs for alcohol use. Um, you know, it has signs for a child that might have an eating disorder or who might self-injure. All of those warning signs are listed in my book. Mm -hmm. but, but generally, what I 
what I advise parents to do is pay attention to any changes you see in your child. These might be behavioral changes, they might be uh, appearance changes, they might be changes in academic performance. Pay attention to any changes that you see in your child because they could be signs that there's something going on underneath the surface. Don't just write them off as normal adolescent development. That, that may be true, uh, but, but it may also be uh, an indicator that something else is going on. And the more of these changes you see in your child, the more likely there is something going on underneath the surface that you need to be aware of. Well, we all hear about hormonal teenagers, and we know that their mood can run the gamut from being happy to extremely detached to not wanting to talk to anybody at all. So that's that's tough to say to say notice changes. So are there any specific questions that a parent can ask their child to to kind of broach the topic? Yeah, well, well, again, it's 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 the the magnitude of the changes. You know, if you see a child, for example, who used to be very social and, and now is isolating, if you see a child who used to take uh, pride in their appearance and now doesn't care about what they look like, mm-hmm. if you have, have a child who used to enjoy participating in sports and no longer wants to participate in sports, those might be warning signs that there's something else going on. You should have a conversation with your child about that. That's the first step. Have a conversation with the child. That may or may not go well, depending on what's going on. Right. You know, you may may end up in a big argument and a blowout, Um, but but it, it may also go well. So I would say the first thing to do is have have a conversation with your child, not the kind of conversations that gets you yes and no answers. Right. There's, there's information in my parent workbook about how to have a conversation with your child, because we're all pretty good at listening to words. We're mm-hmm. not so good at listening to the feelings behind those words. Mm. And that's a skill that we can all develop so that when we're talking to a, a, a an adult or we're talking to a child, we're not just hearing the words we're they're saying, we're, we're digging the a little feelings, deeper. Feelings, but I th- you know what, guys, let me repeat that because that was such an important statement. We're so used to listening to words, but what about the feelings behind the words? Because one of the key complaints that I hear amongst a lot of my adolescent clients is they don't have anybody to listen to them. They feel like they're alone and parents can't understand it, Richard, because they're like, what? we're all here you know they don't get it they give these kids what they want and they have constant company they try to keep them stimulated so i saw on your website under one of your endorsements and i thought this was such uh, this is something i wanted to ask you about so Corey walker the assistant professor over at baylor college of medicine he said that there are no resources to easily understand what help is available and how to access it until richard came out with his book and his workbook um to make the problem of substance use and disorders understandable in plain language. So I don't I don't have a copy of the book or the workbook just yet. I'm probably I'm definitely going to get it. How is this any different from a parent just going to YouTube or trying to google some information? What is this going to give them? 
Well, I point out in my book that 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 many of us, many many parents, are are are, are just not equipped with the training and all of the knowledge and understanding they need to do an assessment for their child. Um, that needs to be left to professionals who who have the training, the education, and the experience to be able to do these comprehensive assessments. Mm-hmm. And when I talk about comprehensive assessments, I've got an entire chapter in my book which talks about the comp- which comprehensive assessments are important because it goes beyond just an addictions assessment. That's an important assessment. That's what I was doing, an addictions assessment. Mm-hmm. But there are other assessments that parents need to get done so that they're getting the entire picture of what's going on with their child. And that's not something that uh, that I was prepared to do as a parent and that most parents are not prepared to do. Um, it, it, it's something that we turn over to the professionals who have the education and the experience to do those assessments and then feedback the information to us as a parent. So in this assessment, because I know you have one assessment that, you know, you'll send your child to speak to a substance abuse expert, counselor, therapist of sorts. And then is the other type of assessment that you're meaning uh, a mental health assessment? It, 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 it is. It, it's, it's primarily a psychological assessment or a neuropsychological assessment. My assessment as, a, as an addictions counselor will, will, will tell you what drugs your child has been using, uh, how long they have been using them, how much they have been using, uh, and, and, and give you a diagnosis of if it's applicable of a substance use disorder that's either mild, moderate, or severe. So, what is a substance use Wait, substance use disorder. What is that? We used to we used to call it abuse and dependency. You mm-hmm. either were abusing a substance or you were dependent on a substance. Oh. We we got away from that and and and, uh, and 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 the new designation is a substance use disorder that can either be mild, moderate, or severe, depending upon the number of negative consequences that are a result of the of the use. So if you see more and more negative effects of the drug use, the person climbs the ladder from mild to moderate to severe. And severe is what we used to call dependency, where mild and moderate were more likely to be categorized as abuse. Mm, I see. I get it. Let's go over some of these questions now, Richard. I'm going to just throw some of these questions at you randomly. Okay. Um, So guys, I posted on social media a little bit ago. I was like, hey, I'm going to have an expert on the podcast and we're talking about adolescent substance abuse so throw all of your hardest questions at him and i'm just gonna read them and i'm gonna let him answer i'm gonna step aside okay so amanda asks what do we do as parents and step parents when our concerns about our children are not being heard by the mental health professionals how do we advocate for our children when we feel that no one will listen that's an excellent question uh, because you need to be an advocate, and and I and I'm so happy to hear her use the word advocate because you are your child's advocate. You are the person who will be advocating for your child throughout this entire process, not just the assessment process. You need to be an advocate for that too, and insist upon these assessments that I have in my book, and insist that it be explained to you in 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 a way that you fully understand what they're saying and what the diagnosis 
diagnosis is, but you also need to be an advocate for any of the treatment that you're looking at. And during the treatment process, you need to be an advocate. And one of the things that's in my book is a list of questions that I think parents should ask when they're interviewing a team treatment program. Here's a list of the questions that I suggest you ask these treatment providers so that you get the information that you need. But throughout the process, starting from the assessment, all the way through treatment, and even after treatment, you need to be a strong advocate for your child. And if you're not getting the answers that you want, or you don't feel comfortable with the answers you're getting, you need to move on to a different professional. Find somebody else. Find that right person. Absolutely. Have you seen, is there like, is there a correlation to the type of counselor that an adolescent would be more willing to open up to? Like, for example, um, I know maybe a teenage girl would, maybe she would want a woman that was a similar look to her. Or have you just found yourself being able to connect with all sorts of demographics of adolescents? I've been able to connect with, with, with young girls and young boys. I've been able to connect with kids who would walk in my office who really didn't want to be there, who, oh, who, yeah. who, who told me they weren't going to quit smoking marijuana, no matter what their parents said. And, and what it comes down to is the ability to sit across from a child uh, or an adult uh, as a counselor and be able to, like I said earlier, not just listen to the words, but listen to the feelings behind the words so that over time that teenager gets the feeling that you aren't just listening to what they're saying, you're understanding how they're feeling. And, and, and counselors who can do that can connect with that child and, and, and move mm. forward. Um, I, I had children, for example, who came to me and, and, and they were not going to quit using marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the large number of these kids who were using marijuana, when I asked them to help me understand why they were using marijuana, the number one answer that came back was it helps me with my anxiety. It helps me deal with my anxiety. Uh, for other kids, it might be tr- it might be depression, it might be a whole number of other issues. But, you know, it didn't do me any good to sit down with that young boy or that young girl and, 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 and explain to them, well, you know, marijuana is illegal. It's, it's messing up things in your family, blah, blah, blah. They've heard it right. all. They, they don't care about it. So what did work? What worked with them, because they were fairly intelligent kids, was the neuroscience behind addiction. When I could show them what marijuana or other drugs did to their developing brain, I had their attention. They weren't interested in hearing about how it's against the law. They weren't interested <laughs> in hearing about how it was going to cause them to drop out of school or not get a job or, or any of these other things. But they were interested in learning about the brain and how these substances like marijuana work within the brain. Then I had their attention. So you're saying basically whatever method you can use to connect and appeal to these kids' greatest interests, listen, you got to go for it. You got to shoot your shot and just go for it, right? You got to capture their attention and, and and you have to and you have to talk to them in a way that is respectful and at the same time find that area where you can link into what they're interested in and and when i showed these kids what marijuana did to their brain and i showed them the test results of what it was doing to them then i had their interest then they wanted to know more about what was going on now since you're an addictions counselor 
And you're in Texas. I don't know if Texas is one of those states that's fighting to legalize marijuana. I would highly doubt it, though. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Like, because I'm sure these kids will look at you and be like, so how do you feel about it? Like, you know, what What are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, they, they, they've asked me that and, and, and they've pointed out the states that are legalizing it for adults more and more. Um, and, and, and my argument with them is, well, OK, that that's 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 what you know, states are doing for adults, but you're an adolescent. And the big difference- like, the law doesn't apply to you, kid. <laughs> yeah, well, the big difference that, that I appealed to them was, you know, one of the differences between an adult addiction and adolescent addiction, there's two major differences. But one of the biggest differences is brain development. So I would say to them, okay, if states want to legalize it for adults and adults choose to, to, to use marijuana legally, that's that's their decision. Right. But it goes more than just beyond you being illegal for you. It has some significant impact on your brain, which is developing. and. And what I found was that for kids who were smoking marijuana, and they were smoking a boatload of marijuana multiple times a day. Oh, so is this a substance addiction or is this abuse? Like when when you have kids doing it that much? It, it tends mostly to be abuse. Oh. Um, uh, it can it can filter and to become addiction if they're using it three four times a day seven days a week it can build up to that, but but what I would explain to them is the results of some of the neurological testing that came back because for those kids who were smoking a lot of marijuana the test results came back it showed that there was a, a decline in the processing speed of their brain their short term memory was impaired and and even they admitted that it sapped the motivation out of them so my message to them was there's a difference between an adult brain and an adolescent brain and, and when it comes not simply ready for this kid like your, your brain cannot handle this it's not going to be ready it's not going to be fully developed till you're 24 or 25 so you need to protect it while you still can so what's the safe age to start smoking marijuana there is it's no legal safe in age. your state wait if it's legal <laughs> in your state people i'm not a, i'm not telling y'all to go and do anything listeners richard if it's legal where you are um what is the safe age there is no safe age um there because because it's 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 a chemical it's 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 a drug that you're putting into your brain and your body so along with that comes risk there is no risk-free drug uh they all carry risk the difference is adults have the capacity to weigh the pros and cons and make a decision that isn't going to necessarily be as harmful on their brain as an adult who or as a child who has a developing brain and um, i guess adults can really cope with the consequences hopefully financially and physically and all that good stuff well, they can until it gets to the point where they truly become addicted to a substance because the second big difference, I mentioned the brain as being one difference between an adult and an adolescent addiction. Mm -hmm. The second big difference is in consequences. Adults who are addicted to substances or alcohol have often faced catastrophic consequences. They may have lost Absolutely. a job. They may have lost a family. They may have lost a marriage. They may have been incarcerated. So consequences for adults addicted to a substance are different than for an adolescent. An adolescent, their biggest consequence is their parent yelling at them. Yeah. Nowhere near nowhere near the consequences that adults have faced. So that's another big difference between adult and adolescent addiction is, is the consequences. Got it. Okay. Next question is from Christy. And this one is 
pretty long so i have not actually read over these questions because i wanted them to be fresh to me so christy miller asks would sudden and extreme parental alienation trigger bipolar disorder and or could the sudden extreme alienation cause the child to exhibit bipolar tendencies but it's not actually called bipolar and i don't know if that's a question that's like that you could answer or you could speak to but how much of that could you speak to very little because that's outside of my area okay um, okay that, that, that's the area where uh really a uh a, a yeah, child I think that's more of a mental health that's more of a mental health issue or a psychiatric issue yes and we are going to talk about um adolescent mental health and some of the work that you do on that here in, in one second okay um ah here's a good one can a mental illness be diagnosed as adhd also can substance abuse look like adhd uh, yeah, it, it can. Um, and, and, and that gets back to the issue of getting a comprehensive assessment, because, um, you know, so many times I have seen children, young, young men and women, teenagers who have been using alcohol or been using substances, drugs. And, and when we get this, the psychological assessments done, we have undercut, we've uncovered a psychological issue that's actually, you know, propelling them to use the substance. It, they're using a substance to medicate an underlying psychological issue. Yeah. It might be things, something like ADHD. It might be anxiety. It might be tra uh, trauma. It might be depression. It could be a whole slew of things. It could be a, a, a behavioral uh, disorder. And, and, and the thing that I point out in my book is when you get that assessment and you discover as a parent that your child has a substance abuse disorder and a psychological disorder, you need to treat both. You can't just treat the, the addiction side of it. You need to address- You gotta do some simultaneous work. You gotta work in tandem, basically. Absolutely, because if you just treat one, the other one's probably- it's not gonna, gonna make be, sense because one get, probably begets the other, right? And it could make the other one worse. Okay, next question. Richard, what is the correlation between substance abuse and mental illness and social media? Well, there is a relationship in a lot of cases, not every case, but a lot of cases that I dealt with, there was a direct correlation, meaning that there was a high percentage of, of adolescents who were abusing substances that had an underlying mental health issue. Um, but I worked in a psychiatric hospital, so uh, it's, it wasn't unusual that a lot of the, the kids being brought to the hospital by parents had both a psychiatric issue um, and a substance abuse issue. Um, it doesn't happen in all cases. There are some kids right. that just just use a substance because of peer pressure, or getting along with their friends, or just wanting mm -hmm. to use the substance. Uh, but 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 there's another classification of kids that use a substance uh, as a way to medicate an underlying issue that that also needs to be treated, and right. in many cases goes undiagnosed. So then I've also seen um, here with the uptick of kids using social media, there has been an increase in reported cases of anxiety, depression, and even suicide. And so once I started looking into why, why in the world is this happening? Because this wasn't an issue with my generation. I know it probably was, wasn't an issue with yours. And it shows the effects of social media. Like for example, one, you get a hundred likes, they show the same spike that, that you would get um, 
from a shot of cocaine or some other drug, you know, some sort of upper. And so there has to be some sort of addictive properties. Did, do you speak to that at all in your practice? Uh, I speak to it in my book. Uh, oh, it's, okay. it, it's under a chapter that's called process disorders. Okay. Process disorders are different than chemical disorders. The chemical disorders are the alcohol and the drugs. Process disorders tend to be behavioral disorders. Those are things like eating disorders, um, self-injury, video gaming, cell phone use, and all those are addressed in my chapter. Um, and what we're noticing is as a result of this pandemic that's been going on for so long, mm. not only has it had an impact on families, it's also had an impact on adolescents who have been pulled away from their social environment, their schooling, and we're beginning to see a tremendous increase in the mental health needs of these teenagers because of everything that's going on. Since the pandemic began, there's been a 24% increase in emergency room visits by grade school children. And there's wow. been a 31% increase for teens who are urgently in need of mental health care. So it's disrupted their sleep, it's disrupted their eating, their schooling, their performance, excessive worry, oh irritability. God. 31%. Can you say that last statistic again? Because I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I need a second for that to just kind of. Since the pandemic began, the CDC has reported there's been a 24% increase in emergency room visits by grade school children and a 31% increase for teens who are urgently in need of mental health care. And since the pandemic began, we've seen a surge in video gaming. You know, 70% of kids under the age of 18 are on some kind of a, of a console. And in 2020, half of them were spending more than six hours a day online. That's a 500% increase over 2019. Um, and, and, and there may be a correlation between excessive gaming and depression and anxiety as kids turn to gaming as an escape and to numb some of the distress that they're under. Mm, okay. Next question from Lori. Now, Lori appears to be just with me skimming through this question. So Richard, on this particular podcast, we have a lot of people that are remarried, they're recoupled, they're trying to figure out how to co-parent and step-parent. So that means they're in non-traditional households. Mom and dad are, you know, probably divorced parents. So Lori says, I am a non-primary caregiver. How do I make my concerns heard with the other household? That's an excellent question because this issue of, uh, of blended family, so to speak, is, is an important one. Yes. Um, and, and my message to, to, to adults that are in blended family situations uh, and have preteen or adolescent uh, uh, children is you need to be on the same page. You need to probably every one of you read my book so that you all know the warning signs and you all understand what's going on with adolescent substance abuse. But the main message is kids are very, very good at splitting 
parents uh, mm. and they can split them if they see one's more permissive than the other they're going to gravitate towards the permissive one so it's important to have these discussions uh, about substance abuse even if your child is not even you don't think they're using they may be they may not but you need to become aware of the warning signs and everything that's in my book and the bottom line is you need to be on the same page everybody needs to be on the same page going in the same direction now I can tell you this, Richard, the people that listen to this podcast are not on the same page. They're not even on the same book. They're, they're <laughs> not in the same shelf on the library. There's a lot, you know, <laughs> they're not. They, li they listen to us for solutions on what can I do if I have a co-parent that's working against me and I'm seeing that my child who, who lives with them primarily might have an issue. So this means obviously, you know, you, we advise, oh, go to court. Oh, do this. But until you can get a court date, cause there's a pandemic that could be a year away. You got this child that's battling something. Yeah. And, how and, can this parent, especially since you said something so important, you said kids know how to split. They, they, especially when they know mom and dad are not getting along. They're not on the same page or their parents. I'm sorry not to not be um, inclusive. So when they see their parents are not getting along. So what can this particular parent do when they're not even on speaking terms, perhaps, with the other household? I, I think that if you're not on speaking terms, you've, you've already got one major roadblock in front of you. And you may yeah. not be able to overcome that because the other person may not be interested in hearing you, even if it's in the best interest of the child. Uh, the, the, the next best thing you can do in that kind of a situation is focus on, on developing that strong relationship with, with the child. Learn the communication skills. Learn to talk to them so that you're listening to their feelings and, and, and not just their words. If you can't get cooperation from all of the adults interested in, in this child's welfare, then you have to be the advocate, you have to step forward, and you have to be the one perhaps, and, and perhaps the only one that can develop that trusting relationship with this child. Now, that may be very difficult to do. You may become frustrated, you may become angry, but if you just keep at it, eventually in time, hopefully you will begin to develop that relationship where that child begins to trust you and opens up to you. Mm, I see, I see. So let's get back on drugs. Wow, okay, okay, I did not. <laughs> let's talk about drugs. Let's, let, me, let me rewind that. Oh God, Naja, really? So you mentioned earlier, um, because I was so curious to know, like, what are the trends and how have you seen things change? And you mentioned vaping yeah. is something that we're still seeing kids sneak through. But what are the substances that you're seeing that are just the most difficult to pull away from these kids is adolescents? I, I think it's very difficult to, to pull them away from the nicotine that they're vaping, from the marijuana that they're vaping, um, you know, and, and if, they're, if they're using some of these uh, prescription medications, if they're using uh, uh, many of these medications like Ritalin and Adderall, um, it's very difficult to pull them away from them uh, because they, they feel that they need them and, and, and that they're helping. Um, and, and, and one of the things I advise parents is if you have any alcohol or prescription drugs in your house, you need to, you need to secure them uh, because these, these kids can be very clever at rating the alcohol and, and, and rating, rating the, uh, the medicine cabinet. I've, I've had kids who have taken only a portion of the vodka and because it's a clear liquid, they'll, they'll replace they put it. water with, or something. They'll, in they'll it. put water into it or mm -hmm. they'll take only a portion of their ADHD medication and sell 
won't sell some of it. Or if they're not prescribed the ADHD medication and they want it, um, they'll get it from another kid who, who, who will be selling it. So you need, oh to, you need, you need to be alert. Um, let, me, you know. let me ask you this, Richard, because what do you do when you have an adolescent that is very strong-willed, they are addicted, and you're starting to see as a parent, there's really not much you can do to help them. And you see they're, they're if they keep going this way, they're led, they're, they're headed for a path of destruction. Um, what are you supposed to do then? You need to get them into an assessment so that you know uh, the extent of, the, of what's going on and you have a diagnosis and you have a treatment plan. And then you need to insist that the treatment plan be followed, whether the child wants to do it or not. I had a lot of kids who came to Menninger Clinic they didn't want to come there. That's the last place in the world they I'm wanted sure to. Because they, they didn't think they had a problem. They thought the problem was mom and dad. But but it had gotten to the point where mom and dad realized this cannot continue. And, and, and you're going. Some of them were escorted by people. Some of these kids didn't want to go. The parents didn't want to deal with trying to force them. So they hired an escort to pick them up and take them to the hospital. The bottom line they have to be is. Forced to go is what you're saying. Absolutely. They have to be forced to escort go is like a nice way to like listen you better get your behind over and listen, <laughs> go to this facility uh, an, es an, an escort makes it sound sort of uh, sophisticated it and does. Nice. But, but what it is we're taking you dragging and kicking into the hospital okay and in many times it's to save their life so this is kind of an awful question um what do you see what do you do as a parent when you see that this one particular child their behavior and their abuse or both of them are turning your household upside down. It's affecting the younger kids. Maybe they're on the verge of violence or they've already been violent. When is the time, gosh, it sounds so harsh, but when is a parent supposed to give up and focus on the kids that they're still trying to raise? Well, you don't ever give up as a parent. Uh, you, you, you run into intolerable situations like the one you dis described and, and you get to the point where you say, okay, uh, this cannot go on and we're going to intervene and, and, and do what needs to be done. Because you know this addiction just doesn't affect the child who's addicted. It affects the entire family the entire situation. Family. It affects mom. It affects dad, brother, sister. It affects the entire system. And and many times the entire system needs treatment, not just the kid. I had a lot of parents who wanted to try and convince me that the only problem was the kid. If I could fix the kid, everything would be fine. Mm. No, it's not that simple. This has ramifications for the entire family, and many times the the entire family needs to be treated. Mm. Okay. So there's a lot of step parents that listen to this. I know that you are a step daddy of two, correct? Step daddy yes, of two, right? Okay. So, so you can kind of empathize with this. I'm a stepmom of three. Um, and there's been plenty of times in my own situation where I felt like my voice is the smallest in this scenario. I was the last one to join this family. My voice really doesn't matter, especially in times where things have been super high conflict. And so what is a step parent to do? Like what type of support can a step parent provide for this oh, I, child in need? Well, it gets back to the issue of both parents, you know, the, the biological parent and the step parent being on the same page, mm -hmm. talking things through, making sure that the child is getting That ain't going to happen over here on this podcast with, with the people to listen to me, Richard. <laughs> okay? Well, that's why the podcast is called. I know I'm crazy. 
Well, then, then, then you got to do it on your own, and you've got to <laughs> you you you've got to develop that relationship with that child, and you got to keep working at it, and 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 maybe the other. A uh, parent is not interested in learning good communication skills and listening to the feelings, but you can be the parent that will. You are in charge of what you do. And yes. if you, you want to have a better relationship with this child, you can do it. And you can do it by learning these skills on how to deal with this kid in a way that that kid feels like you're truly listening to them. Now, it's not all magically going to happen the first conversation you have, but if you keep working at it and eventually that child begins to understand that you're the parent that truly understands what I'm feeling when I'm talking, then I think you may become the one that can make a difference. Mm. What do you do for the kids that seem impenetrable? You know, they come and look at you and they're like, I'm only here because I'm being forced to. I'm not going to say anything to you. I'm not answering none of your stupid questions. Um, I'm just here so I don't get fined. How are you able to kind of crack the hardcore shell of those particular adolescents? I think you just begin by recognizing that that's where they are, uh, not judge it, not condemn it, not criticize it, but just just recognize that that's where they are at the moment. And, and, and again, continue to work on understanding why are they where they are? What are they saying to you? What are they feeling? Now, the first few times you try that, they just might blow you off. Uh, they, they, you might not get anywhere. Uh, and they may be testing you to see if, uh, if you're going to be consistent with this. So the best that you can hope Hope to do is just keep trying and trying and trying and yes it's going to get frustrating yes so frustrating oh my god yeah it's going to be frustrating it's going to make why i'm you... not working with adolescents because i'd be like Whoa. you know that's it's going to make you angry. It's going to make you frustrated. You're going to throw up your hands. You're going to say I quit no more no more but but you can learn these skills and, and, and you can develop a pattern of talking to these children in a way that they feel truly appreciated. And you may be the only adult that they feel that way too. But, but my, my, my message is don't give up. Um, certainly, if it becomes a, a serious situation, you need to move quickly to get help for your child. Um, but until it gets to that point, uh, just, just continue working at it. That's so what I, I would do. That's what I would do when I had a child sitting in my office who wanted absolutely nothing to do with me, didn't want to talk to me. Um, you know, I, I, I just kept going at it. And, you know, he might have been in our program for three, four five weeks, whatever it was. But by the time it was over, more times than not, I had turned that child around. Mm. And that's why you're the bomb. That's why you had such a long, successful career and you were able to um, pen this book for the parents that don't want to go and read the DSM and go through every piece of every book, every journal that's out there on addiction. Because it's like, this seems like a great place to start. And then your workbook, you know, there's key questions to kind of go in and tackle what your family needs. So Richard, I know you're retired right now. You're chilling out with the family over in Katy, Texas. And Katy, Texas is in Houston, by the way, guys. I'm sure you all know that. Richard, <laughs> tell me this final question. What made you keep doing it for so long? How did you hang out in that field for so long? 
Um, I actually enjoyed working with the kids and the ones who were more oppositional, the, the more I enjoyed working with them. Um, and, and, and I enjoyed getting the feedback when they were discharged about, you know, how much they appreciated the work that I did with them and, and watching them grow and develop uh, from the time they walked into the hospital until they left the hospital. Now, a number of them, because they were so, uh, they, were, they were involved in some really serious underlying psychiatric issues mm -hmm. when we got done with the assessment and the short treatment that we that we did they went on to anywhere from six to 12 months of residential care uh, and I have received letters from them years down the road you know telling me about the progress that they made and the work that they're doing some of them went on to college some of them got married um, and and I think that's the one thing that 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 I think kept me so involved in this was I enjoyed working with the adolescents you uh, your job. and, and, and I enjoyed watching them grow and, and, and they did the work. I mean, I facilitated it and I helped it along the way, but, but they actually are the ones who did the work. You know, I can say you're really easy to talk to. So I imagine if I was one of those oppositional kids that was sitting across the desk, I would eventually open up to you because you're, you're very easy to talk to, Richard. I really enjoyed this conversation. Well, thank you. And I, I, I you know, I tried to, you know, build in humor along the way you know yeah, i would i would joke with them i would have fun with them and then we'd get down to some serious business but uh, but it all gets back to spending the time to develop the relationship and that's true with any counseling it's true with adults it's true with kids it's it's the investment you make in in in, in developing that that therapeutic relationship Yes. Well, tell everybody where they can find you, how they can support your mission, um, and, and especially how they can reach you if they need you. If you're a parent, um, you know, I would, uh, or you know a parent, um, I would recommend that you buy my book. Um, it's, it's available in electronic form. It's available in paperback form. There's also a parent workbook that's in paperback form. It runs about a hundred and some pages, so it's going to be a very quick read, but I it's I thought you were about to say a hundred and some dollars. I was going to say, Wait a minute. Richard. No, no, no. It's only about 107 pages, but it's packed <laughs> with information. Um, the electronic book is less than $4. I think the paperback is less than $10. Um, and they're all available on the book's website, which is helptheaddictedchild.com. If you go to that website, you not only can order the book, you can read endorsements and book reviews. There's some blog articles. There's a way in which you can contact me. You can just send a message to me. Um, so I really recommend that, um, that, that you spend the time um, getting to read this book, understand uh, what's going on with adolescent substance abuse. And, um, and even if your child is a preteen, it's a good idea to get this book and read it now. So um, you can go to the website, helptheaddictedchild.com, and you'll find it there. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Richard Capriola, everybody. Let's give him a round of applause. <laughs> All right. You. Once again, everybody, please visit helptheaddictedchild.com. And I will talk to you Tuesday after next. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of I Know I'm Crazy, I'm crazy with Naja Hall, available on every I'm single one of your favorite streaming platforms. I'll talk to you next time.